Hi, five listeners. Before we get to the show, here's a podcast we think you're going to recognize and know you're going to love. What's up and welcome to the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries promo. My name is Josh Cannon and I'm here with my co-host Mike. Say hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. All right, now that we got that hacky joke out of the way, uh, did you guys know that we were the first fan podcast for the show Unsolved Mysteries? Uh, Josh, that's not entirely true. It's not? Uh, well, did you guys know we were the first Unsolved Mysteries fan podcast to get an official cease and desist letter from John Cosgrove and Terry Moyer, the executive producers from Unsolved Mysteries? Uh, that actually might be true. In fact, it's damn true. So yeah, if you like Robert Stack's voice or it gave you nightmares as a child, this podcast is for you. We re-examine cases from Unsolved Mysteries and have even interviewed people from the show. But we don't only cover Unsolved Mysteries cases. Sometimes we explore interesting stories or documentaries such as the West Memphis Three and the Church of Scientology. We release a new episode every Monday and you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or even on the deep web. So how are we supposed to like end this promo right now? I don't know. Um, all right, I, I guess I'll give it a shot. I I love you. That was the wrong choice. And go. Hello, five listeners. Welcome. Did you know that this is Perhaps It's You, the world's most unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatched podcast? Oh, they're all like, fuck, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's the wrong podcast. This isn't serial. Yeah. Damn. Sorry, you downloaded the wrong podcast, and now you're on the plane without Wi-Fi, and you're stuck listening to this. Poor suckers. Oh, man. How's it going, Liz? All right. How are you? I'm good. I have a, a minor update. Well, let's hear it. So I heard from my dad. I know you don't want to recall. Remember when we were talking about the old Dutchman's mine? Yes. And you were like, why did they call it the old Dutchman? When he was German, not Dutch. Oh, my dad wrote in. Apparently. Tell me. This was a common uh, misunderstanding back in the day. When people would say Deutsch. They would think that that's Dutch? Yes. (laughs) That's how dumb people were. (laughs) All right. So, and I went, oh, yeah. Okay, well, that all makes sense now. So, Americans. That's why that was wrong. Big thanks to Liz's dad for that. Yes. Correction? Yes. Oh, also, I would like to thank my friend Olivia for a new outro music. Yeah, we forgot to mention that in the last episode. Which is awesome. Thank you so much. It's so very that- spooky. I hope you enjoyed it. Stick around till the very end if you didn't last time and listen to it, because it- here's a little trade secret. Our intro music is a free song we found on YouTube. <laughs> Shh, no, don't steal it. YouTube has a great royalty-free music library. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Don't we look like, for it. We typed into youtube spooky music or something yeah i don't know how we got our song so she made us something totally original that's way better yeah so thank you so much and this just shows that the person you sat next to during eighth grade math class can really pay off (laughs) It really can. Keep those connections, folks. She did folks. a great job. And she also <laughs> sent us some other music. If you listen to other podcasts and you've heard our advertisements floating around. Yeah, we're going to start using those. We're going to start using some of the awesome music she sent as background music on some of our ads. So it's really going to make us sound so much more professional. Yeah. And we can't thank her enough. Yeah, it's really cool to have something unique to the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to thank all of our listeners who sent us Unsolved Valentines. Oh my god, you guys are the best. They were the best Valentine's Day ever. (laughs) I tried to save all of them. I don't know if I got them all, but 
because they were sent to us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, go on our Instagram page at Perhaps It's You. I collected them all, and you can see. I you guys are so much funnier than we are. I think I shared them all on Facebook as well. I didn't even try on Twitter, because Twitter's like a whole thing. But <laughs> Twitter's complicated. <laughs> Listen. I loved the one. Now, I can't remember off the top of my head who shared this one with us, but it was the... Um, satanic panic one that said i would panic if you're not my valentine oh my god so good <laughs> a lot of treasure like you're the real treasure those were like, all just for samantha i loved every single one <laughs> so you guys well, are so great i think the one from yeah i think there was one from josette that had a very like dapper robert stack saying that you were the real treasure samantha i loved that one. Oh, oh. So, we talked about a prom photo. Yes, you found... <laughs> you were alerted to some salacious gossip um, forgive, regarding that prom photo. Forgive me that I can't remember who sent this in. I do appreciate it so much. So, I didn't I didn't mean to bring this up as an update, so now I'm ill-prepared. But they tried to Google Elizabeth Taylor, Robert Stack. To, to find the photo, because I was a little behind posting it to Instagram. the photo. And they instead found... That in a new biography of Elizabeth Taylor, it claims that she had a threesome with Robert Stack and fucking JFK, <laughs> which I hope you it's, go, girl. I hope it's true. Look, we're a very sex positive podcast. I'm sorry if that bit of hot gossip ruined that photo for you. It did not ruin it for us. We were <laughs> uh, like, yes, girl. <laughs> I hope it's true. That's amazing. <laughs> I loved it. You can see what? that shared on our Facebook page. Yes. So, I don't know. Do I have to read that biography? Maybe. We might. Suddenly, that's on the docket for book club. People are like, what the fuck? Elizabeth Taylor. What does that have to do with anything? We're like, we need to know about all of her threesomes. Yes. It's very important. (laughs) Old time Hollywood was just a big old orgy. Yeah. So. Look, I think I told you when you shared that with me that if I was famous, I would fuck everyone, too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean. Why not? JFK, Robert Stack. It's not something I expected to learn <laughs> that's why i think it has to be true because who would come up with that it's crazy so yes thank you so much to whoever shared that oh, we really appreciate it it's a it's a window into robert stack's life someone also shared Actually, i know us. very little about robert stack. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't share us more tidbits of information about robert stack i think robert he does stack. a great job on all mysteries that's kind of what i know <laughs> someone and i'm sorry i also forgot who commented on that photo of Liz- elizabeth taylor and robert stack on instagram and said how is it that robert stack can simultaneously look 45 and 18 and, true. Which is very true about that photo. And I think I responded that I, I, I just assume he was born 45. Like, he just yeah. he came out of the he has, womb. He has no youth. With a khaki trench coat looking like he does he was Unsolved not, Mysteries. Like, can you imagine Robert Stack as a baby? No, I cannot. Ugh. And every time someone shares a photo of young, sexy Robert Stack, it's like there's this weird cognitive dissonance. No, I can't. I don't. That happens it. in my brain where I'm like, that's not Robert Stack. People will tell us, like, ooh, he was so dreamy when he was young. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> He, he was were, never young. He was never young. So I don't know what you were talking about. You're talking about someone else, also named. You're probably talking about Robbie Robbie Stacky. Probably. Who is a, a dreamboat. An inflatable <laughs> alien, but who's, also a dreamboat. Who's boat. looking a little sad on your porch. I saw him when I walked in today. So to take, when we did a giveaway with the record, and I had Robert Stacky holding the record, uh-huh. I had to sort of deflate him to get him to sit on the couch. <laughs> and I have not reflated him. Reinflated him. Reflated him. Reflated him. Reflated. That's a word. Sure. Um, we have one more thing to announce, and that is that we have a giveaway. 
once again. Once again, we're doing a giveaway. So fabulous. This is actually, would you call this our first merch? Quite possibly. Even even though we're, we're giving it away for free. Um, so, a lovely, lovely person by the name of Jen. Do you remember, listeners, the Robert Stack magnets that Rochelle gave us? Where he has, I call it the icy stare of justice. <laughs> This was on our Alcatraz episode. Yes. And they're these humongous magnets that have a picture of Robert Stack in the khaki trench coat, and he's got this piercing glare. Really? It's it's quite amazing. Is it a smize? It's a little bit of a smize. It's like yeah. the male smize. It is. <laughs> I would say there's it's a... so much happening just yes. in the eyes. You know? Like, somehow, he's really working. That, yeah. That's no, how does he, he get so down? much... How much drama just from that? And Jen who is the woman who owns that Etsy shop that sells those, picked out the perfect Robert Stack photo and just does an amazing job capturing it in this magnet. So we shared the magnet and she reached out to us on Instagram and said that she would like to give us some Robert Stack magnets and pins. Stack swag, I think is what she called it, which I I really appreciate. The world needs more Stack swag. And for just as a gift, but I said, well, we're going to give some of them away to our listeners because... You guys are awesome. And this was very generous of her. And not only did she send us some stack swag, she also sent us some pins and magnets with our logo on them. Yeah, it's super cool. So here's how you can win. We have two, well, we have three sets of two, one uh, logo and one Robert Stack. Yeah. You have three chances to win. We're going to do one on Instagram, one on Twitter, and one on Facebook. You can't win twice, but you do have three chances to win. Yeah. Um, and so go to those particular places, follow us, where at perhaps it's you and all three, and the instructions will be in each post. So I believe on Twitter, we're going to do like retweet us, retweet this. Yeah, follow and retweet. And then for the other two, I think it'll be like and comment. Yes. And you have to be following us in order to win. So uh, yeah. uh, you have to follow us on Instagram and then probably comment on the photo. And you have to like us on Facebook and comment on the photo same with Instagram. So the instructions will be in each one. Go to each place and enter. We'll post a photo, I think. And you can so you understand what you're winning. They're super cool. This is very generous of her. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it's awesome. And I should mention her Etsy shop is, I'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it, but it's P-B-U-N-D-J. P-Bunge? I think maybe... I'm not really sure. But I've noticed <laughs> that she's added a ton of stuff to her Etsy shop since... Um, we got these. She has all kinds of other magnets. My favorite, I think, is the Mori Povich magnet. Who wouldn't want that? My second favorite after Robert Stack. She's selling some awesome pens, some dinosaur necklaces, um, and some, like, kind of 80s and 90s necklaces that I really appreciate, like a lollipop necklace. Oh, yeah, That is definitely something I would have worn as a teenager. Yes. So go give the Etsy shop a, a like. We'll probably share the link on our various places along with absolutely the stuff you can win go check it out i mean you're gonna want it you are gonna want it because and it's I'm- robert stack's icy stare of justice <laughs> magnet with robert stack elizabeth taylor and jfk on it that could someone be make that happen new merch <laughs> and like a big heart <laughs> just their faces floating someone make that happen um, yeah, I don't have anything else. Do you? I mean, that was a lot. Really. It was a lot of updates. Um, Thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. But you're going to win cool stuff, so. I love doing giveaways. It's really fun. It is really fun. <laughs> it makes me feel bad. Eventually, we're going to have merch we have to, we're going to have to sell for money, but for now, you know, I'm just give you stuff. <laughs> Why not? 
Yeah. We're having fun. You're having fun. Perhaps it's you. Yay. <laughs> All right. So let's let's get this, this show on the road. Oh, okay. So, Amazon, you're watching it. You're in season one. You sure are. You're, you're watching- in episode 22. We have what? This two more episodes after this? Yeah, we've come so far and yeah, really learned so little. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, so our first <laughs> I think this is a wanted. Yes, it is a wanted. All right, I can't it's been so long. This is what remember. I wrote down. Wanted and then immediately after that in quotes, obnoxious Yankee. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. So, in 1977, T.K. Hardy's Saloon was a popular bar and restaurant catering to students in the university town of Athens, Georgia. The saloon was owned by Ted K. Hardy, who was nicknamed T.K. He rented the space from a group of businessmen who were in the process of converting an abandoned train depot into a complex of trendy shops and restaurants. Lee Epting, who I assume is one of the businessmen... (laughs) said that TK was an obnoxious Yankee when you first met him. But apparently, once you got to know him, he was a very nice guy. His uh, People from the South want to fill us in on that stereotype of the obnoxious um, Yankee. They didn't really describe what he did that made him an obnoxious Yankee. I think he was, like, too much of a... He was just too outgoing? Yeah, he was, like, too pushy. That's what I took it as, but... Yeah, could be. I might be... totally wrong so i would like to we know. obviously are obnoxious yankees so we don't I mean i'd like to think we're not obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> well no. uh, let's just assume we're not mm. so hardy's arch rival was a na- man named john mooney who also leased space in the complex and who could not possibly look more 70s in the photo that they showed of him i mean I will post this on it's Instagram. It's unreal. It's, yeah, you couldn't even stage a more 70s photo than what they showed of this guy. Um, Mooney's restaurant was called Somebody's Pizza. These Which guys- is a terrible name. <laughs> it wasn't great. So- Whose pizza is this? Somebody's. Somebody's I, guess. I think he, sound- he thought it was really clever, but... Yeah, it's like, does anybody want to take credit for this pizza? No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> So these guys had all kinds of animosity toward each other because they were both trying to attract the same student clientele. This is the stupidest rivalry I've ever heard of. It's really dumb. Because college students love to eat. And they love to go out and eat because they never cook for themselves. Like, I have to believe there's room for more than one restaurant in in this college town. But for some reason, they had this rivalry. It sounded kind of like it was a one-sided rivalry. Mooney just didn't like the other guy. but For being he an was obnoxious kind of, Yankee? Well, and Mooney was kind of a dick, which we'll see in a little bit. So he's, um, Epting says that Mooney started out very enthusiastic, telling everyone who'd listen that he was going to make his millions of dollars with this pizza joint in this college town. But as soon as he got the lease, he became difficult to work with. He was always making excuses for things he couldn't do and saying he was not able to pay the rent for some reason or another. So then he started infringing on everyone else's business. He started going to TK's restaurant to pass out flyers for his restaurant. I just wrote, what a dick move. In the reenactment, too. You're just like, that's not cool. Yeah, and everyone who was sitting down was like, what the fuck? There's no way that would work. No, it wouldn't. It's so stupid. It wouldn't work at all. The reenactment of him, like, getting confronted by TK and then just kind of, like, going and snatching the flyers from the people he had just given them to and storming out was kind of funny. This reminds me of on Bob's Burgers. Bob has a rivalry with the Italian restaurant across the street. And this seemed like something that would happen on that show. Except that show's a cartoon. (laughs) 
<laughs> this is real life. Yeah. Anyway, men. I know. I shake my head at the whole thing. <laughs> so Robert Stack tells us that the feud between TK Hardy and John Mooney started out as a simple dispute between restaurants going after the same customers. But after three years, the original lease on the building expired, and TK took over managing the entire complex. And this is what Robert Stack says. It was then that his feud with John Mooney escalated into a full war. A war that ended in murder. (laughs) I mean, you gotta... This is not the most interesting mystery. It really isn't. So you gotta bring some pizzazz. Yeah. You gotta embellish it a little bit. Robert Stack brings the pizzazz, so... (laughs) I mean, just look at that stare. That magnet's staring at me right now. There's several Robert Stacks staring at me (laughs) on the table right now. Funny story about those magnets. I'm gonna go completely off topic. But I brought one of the pins she sent to work so that I could hang it in my cubicle. Mm -hmm. Because pins, like, slide into the fabric of the cubicle really well. And I put it, like, behind my computer. I'm like, this is the perfect spot for it. And then I just kind of, like, as I was working, just kept seeing Robert Stack looking at me from over the top of my computer. And finally I was like, I can't. This can't be there. I need to move it. (laughs) I cannot have Robert Stack (laughs) glaring at me all day while I'm trying to work. It was so distracting. I had to move it kind of to the side so uh, don't so learn from samantha yeah you'll have to maybe put it somewhere where he's not constantly staring i mean at I, i'm hoping most people are gonna put their pin on their khaki trench coat yeah send us a photo of that if you do i want to bring khaki trench coats back we really should well you found that khaki trench dress oh on God. facebook <laughs> or on, on yes. it's, you found it on amazon you shared it on facebook yes if anyone wants to see it it's a like shirt dress Sort of, but it really looks like a khaki trench coat. Amazing. And if it wasn't, it's a little expensive. If it was a little cheaper, I think we would should buy them. Someone was like, "You need this for your next promo photos," and I was like, "I love that idea, but do I really want to buy two of these idiots' dresses? I don't know." Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so (laughs) businessmen hate each other. Yeah. What happened? Somebody's pizza. What happened was that the businessmen decided to sell the place, and TK came up with the money to buy the whole complex. This included John Mooney's restaurant, um, or the space that he kept his restaurant in. So as soon as he signed the papers, TK decided to evict John Mooney. And the reenactment is hilarious of TK confronting John Mooney with the eviction papers. It's yeah. just like this dark... You're out of here! Fo- yeah, there's, it's this dark, like, foggy restaurant. All the chairs are up yeah, on the tables. A, think about that. It's a foggy restaurant. <laughs> huh. It's supposed to look a little bit sinister. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but TK kind of leans over the table at John Mooney and kind of <laughs> throws the eviction notice in his face or, like, shakes it at him and is like, this is your eviction notice, buddy. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Get out of here. Um, D.A. Harry Gordon, who has a volcano mustache, is what I wrote down. Oh, uh, yeah. Tells sure us. He tells us that TK mentioned to his family and his girlfriend that he was concerned about the attitude of John Mooney. According to someone, like, when he was signing the papers, he was like, I can't wait to evict. <laughs> that was, like, the first thing he said. It made it seem like he bought the whole complex just, just so he could. Which... I have to say I respect. I respect that. The level of spite that that takes, that he would spend, what, like a million Probably. some dollars just to, to evict his enemy? Just to evict his, just to ruin somebody's pizza and make it <laughs> nobody's pizza, which I hope he said while telling him to get the hell out of here. He opened a new restaurant called Nobody's, nobody's Pizza. Nobody's Pizza. <laughs> 
that would be that would make the story a lot more interesting yeah anyway sorry go on so 10 days later in the early morning hours of august 30th 1977 tk hardy arrived home after closing up his saloon for the night robert stack tells us that a man lurked in the shadows of tk's kitchen watching him when hardy walked into his study the man followed him shooting him from behind the reenactment of this is hilariously fake. Yeah, the shooting. it's I'm, not one of their I best. forgot to check Unsolved Mysteries gifts to see if they have if it doesn't this particular exist, scene. Yeah, it will in the future. We're just going to continuously request them to create gifts for us. us. Gifts. <laughs> give us gifts. Like, listen to Unsolved Mysteries gifts. gifts. <laughs> we need this one in gift form. But it's so funny because he's sitting at his desk and as soon as he's shot, he like throws his arms up in the air and collapses over his desk. It's very high school play yes yes it is you really need to see the visual in order to get the ridiculousness of it anyway he's shot in the head he dies instantly four hours later the police pick up john mooney for interrogation mooney was reportedly very cooperative however at first yeah reenactment john mooney doesn't look that convincing at all but it is the reenactment Um, Despite news of the murder having not been released yet, Mooney knew why he was being questioned. When the big slip up. Yeah, the detective was like, how do you know that TK was murdered? We haven't told anyone that TK was murdered. And reenactment John Mooney was like, "Uh, Uh, I think I need a lawyer. Because they were like, do you know why you're here? And he was like, I assume because of the TK shooting. And they were like, how do you know know about that? Like, he immediately put his foot in his mouth. Yes. He's like, oh, I, I, need a, I need a lawyer, guys. Yep, so he lawyered up. Um, police didn't have enough evidence at the time to arrest Mooney, so they let him go. Four weeks after the murder, uh, police are at a dead end, but out of the blue, another local restaurant owner called the detectives with a bizarre story. This is weird. Yeah, he said he was cleaning up behind the bar one night when, apparently out of nowhere, an electrician named Elmer Florence started to drop hints that he was willing to kill someone for money. You know, like you do. Samantha, you did not emphasize that name nearly enough. <laughs> Elmer Florence? Elmo. Isn't it Elmo? I thought his full name was Elmer, but people called him Elmo. Am I wrong about that? Was it really I Elmo? His Was his real name? I don't know. But they called him Elmo. So Wait. think of this name. Elmo Florence. I might be wrong. It might be Elmo. I usually watch with the subtitles on. I probably just saw Elmo. And in my head, I'm like, no one's named Elmo. <laughs> it has to be Elmer. This guy is. That's hilarious. But yeah, apparently he was just sitting at the bar and he was like, hey, I'll kill someone for money. And the bartender was like, uh, <laughs> what? Well, the bartender, who I'm sure is used to a lot of drunk people spouting off, right? That's like, true. It's like, yeah, sure you will, whatever. And then this guy's a terrible hitman and he has yeah. a big mouth. Yeah, because the bartender, being skeptical, asked him how he got into the house and elmer or elmo said that he broke a window and pushed the broken glass into a pile he went on to say that a telephone call ringing twice was the signal to him that tk was on his way home florence described the inside of the house he also knew the type of gun that was used and where the bullet entered tk's head in total uh florence knew 21 specific things about the crime that had not been released to the public why is he just telling this to a bartender he eventually told most a lot all of this to the police. Yeah, the detective calls him a hot suspect. So I guess he was. What? I would call him a dreamy suspect. <laughs> no, I would not. Absolutely not. Uh, anyway, so they arrest Elmo, who tells them that John Mooney hired him to kill TK Hardy. But when the police went to arrest Mooney, they found that he had left the country. 
Two weeks later, though, police were tipped off that Mooney was back in the he U.S. He left the country, but then I immediately came back. I guess. Maybe it was just on vacation. I don't know. Mooney, you're bad at crimes. <laughs> so they got this tip that he was back in the U.S. living with a friend. The police went to the friend's apartment and approached two men who were drinking in the parking lot. The, te- the detective then plays it cool, pretending that he's going over there just to talk to them about the littering. He was very impressed with himself. Yeah. How he came up with this plan. The most obvious... I mean, the reenactment is funny. There's like a pile of beer cans and they throw one over their shoulder. So many beer cans. (laughs) So the detective goes over and is like, "Uh, you know, you're littering, right? I mean, I don't know that not everywhere has the same container laws, but most places you can't just like drink a beer literally on the sidewalk. Yeah. So I don't know that he's some sort of mastermind Sherlock Holmes detective to be like, I with subterfuge. <laughs> I I went up to talk to them about a crime they were clearly breaking so that I could go, wait, you're John Mooney. I was in Missouri visiting my friend who was in vet school down there. And they have the most amazing bar I've ever been to, and I really want one to come to Minnesota. It was a slushy bar. Ooh. Where literally there's just they look like icy machines at the movie theater where you pull you pull a lever and slushy comes out. Yeah. But they're all different flavors, they're all alcoholic. You can get different like combinations. That's amazing. I went there in the summertime and she had a pool in her apartment complex, so we walked to this place to get slushies. And because in Missouri, I don't know if it's still the case, but apparently if you as long as it's covered, it's considered a closed container and you can just like take it to go. Oh, okay. So we literally walked over. Nice loophole. Yeah. Got a slushy. The bartender was very nice. They made us a little, I were like, make us your favorite combination. It was so good. <laughs> Delicious. And then they just, it was in a paper cup. They put a lid on it with a straw. I'll get, remind you, they stuck a straw okay. in it and let us walk out the door. <laughs> this would never happen in Minnesota. I mean, it would happen in Minnesota, but it's not supposed to. That sounds like paradise. Yeah. And we just walked back and we sat by the pool and sipped this, this, these alcoholic slushies. It was wonderful. That should be... We'll have to open that by the Capybara Ranch. <laughs> the alcohol slushy? Yeah. Slushy store? It was really fun. I want one in Minnesota. It'll be by the Perhaps It's You Pass in the mountains. <laughs> Just all in a row. <laughs> yeah. All of our weird enterprises. I don't even know if you can call it that. Well, yeah, you know. So, okay. This cop's a goddamn genius. He uh, finds Mooney. Yeah, he finds Drinking Mooney. and littering away. That's his real crime, folks. He was a litter bug. <laughs> so they arrested Mooney for murder. Incredibly, I or slash incredibly stupid. I don't know. <laughs> Mooney had written down his murder for hire plan on a note. This is what the note read. I wrote it word for word. See Elmo. Offer to See him. Elmo. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if that was his nickname, but that's what I assumed it was. But I think it's maybe his actual name. I don't care. Any- his name is Elmo Flores to me. <laughs> So the note said, see, Elmo, offer to him if worse comes to worse to take the whole rap and say robbery was the motive. He or we have agreement for me to take care of his wife and family. Why would he need to write that down? <laughs> I don't know. Don't write down your murder for higher plots. And Why? then keep the note. And then keep the note of something. You would know that. You would know that you offered to take care of his wife and family. This is how dumb this guy is. He has to write himself a note. Maybe he stuck it on his fridge. Don't forget to do underline murder. <laughs> he should. He should have written himself a note. Do not immediately know about murder that has not been announced. Also, 
Do not leave super incriminating notes around. This guy's really dumb. So Elmer, Elmer Florence's trial lasted one week. He was sentenced to life in prison. John Mooney also got sentenced to life. Um, so you're probably asking yourself, what's mysterious about this? Well, af- shortly after being put in a maximum security prison, John Mooney was moved to a minimum security prison. Why? And he escaped. <laughs> because Elias on this show super easy to escape from prison. <laughs> he just hid in a trash can and was like rolled out yeah they made it sound so here's what happened after six months he was given the job of prison clerk a job that came with access to areas of the prison most inmates can't go he was However, like in charge of the food or something his whole plan was just hide in a trash can two other inmates took the trash out and then he was outside of the prison <laughs> So, uh, but he was described as an ideal inmate who didn't complain about the rules and regulations, and he yeah, worked he was hard. You. Yeah, he gained the trust of the staff. The warden describes him as a con artist who was conning them all. Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised this criminal is devious. Yeah. So he escaped. What? That's why they were trying to find him. The, I, the fact that someone as dumb as this guy, who's this bad at crimes, could was, escape from your prison—that is. They should be much more ashamed. It should be harder to escape from prison. They were like, oh, he tricked us. I was like, that does not bode well for you, because this guy is a dummy. Yeah. So in the update, Mooney is found thanks to two Unsolved Mysteries viewers who told the telecenter that Mooney was living in Mesa, Arizona, under the assumed name Robert Kelly. He was enrolled in Arizona State University, he was married, he had a child, and he had been working at an account as an accountant. <laughs> So this guy went on to lead a whole life. It, a whole it was like boring, very vanilla life. He was on the run for nine years, and he just made a life for himself. So that'd be embarrassing if you found out that your accountant was actually an escaped inmate. That he, yeah, he was enrolled in Arizona State. It's like, oh, you know who's been like doing our taxes? <laughs> this, this this guy, murderer. That, this murderer that killed someone over a pizza restaurant. <laughs> And then escaped in a trash can. Yeah. So that was that one. Not my favorite, I'll say. No, it's not the greatest. But I do love it when an Unsolved Mysteries viewer solves the case. It just shows you how important the show was. Yeah. So good to whoever called in. I don't like this guy because he's real stupid. He's real stupid. Yeah, and he killed someone for no reason. Oh, yeah, that too. So... (laughs) Your turn. And he called his business somebody's face. <laughs> He's really dumb. That was the best he could come up with. <laughs> and he thought it was so clever. I would never. Okay. All right. <laughs> so we're moving on. Mystery number two is a fraud case. This is the story of a car. It is. It's a little different for Unsolved Mysteries. It's quite different. It's, it's, yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's do I'll just let Liz start this one off i'm gonna say there's some problematic talk of gender in this segment there is so if you're gonna watch this episode be aware of that be aware of that if you look into this case you will see more problematic talk of gender even more it's way worse yes (laughs) so then you go like oh actually the unsolved mystery segment's not that bad but it just means that people's potential to be horrible is actually quite large. If that makes sense. It makes total sense because I also Googled this case and oh was my God. surprised by what I found. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a fraud case. 
And they try to make it salacious Mm -hmm. by bringing in a gender aspect to it because the con artist is trans. Yes. But it's really just a fraud. And actually, the fraud itself is... I mean, I'm not a biggest the biggest fan of fraud or cars, but I found this interesting. It's so... It didn't, and it didn't need the salacious... No. They're trying... Gossipy nonsense. Right. They're trying to make it this whole other thing, when really, there's this very ridiculous... <laughs> okay. I'm just going to do it well, now. Just, yeah, just start off. I'm just going to do it now. So, in addition to the Unsolved Wiki, I'm also looking at an article from the... A website I never thought from Road Trippers. (laughs) Under their Roads and Rides section, they have an article called The Transgender Con Artist and Her Multi-Million Dollar Three-Wheeled Car Scheme. Which is a good summary of the case. case. So anyway, it starts with Dale Clift. This is not included in the Unsolved Mysteries segment at all. No. But Dale Clift, after the 70s fuel crisis was like, we need to make a more fuel-efficient car. So he created this weird little three-wheeled vehicle out of motorcycle parts. It was street legal because it was technically considered a motorcycle. It used a motorcycle engine. It used some other motorcycle parts. It sort of had brakes. Like, (laughs) was it, do you just put your foot down, like, Fred Flintstone style? Yeah, it did have brakes, but some stuff I was reading was saying, like, yeah, they didn't work very well because of the, like, tire configuration and what, I don't know. I don't know anything about cars. I should (laughs) say that right now. So, anyway, Dale Cliff has made this novelty, bright yellow, space age kind of looking car-ish thing. (laughs) Car-ish thing. Car-ish thing that he's driving around. And this, and then Elizabeth Carmichael sees it and says, oh, I'm going to put this into production. So she offers Dale Cliff royalties for producing his car. That part is never mentioned in the Unsolved Mysteries segment, and I found that weird. Like, that is she, weird. She didn't come up with the prototype for the car herself. I would say this segment was actually surprisingly short. Considering, I think, how much there is to this story. story, And I felt like they left out some kind of important parts. It was weird. So they acted like there was never a car that ran. And there kind of was. Yeah. But it wasn't everything that she claimed, I guess. So Dale Cliff does make this basic kind of a motorcycle, kind of a car, kind of a three-wheeled thing. Um, And he was supposed to get $3 million in royalties from Liz Carmichael putting the car into production. In the end, he got, like, $1,000. <laughs> because this is a fraud. <laughs> yeah. So, Liz Carmichael was kind of a master media manipulator. And she sold herself as going to be, I'm going to be the first female, like, car exec head honcho. She described herself as the combination of Henry Ford and Howard Hughes. Yes. Which I wrote down, those were both terrible people. (laughs) Terrible people. So that big red flag to me. Yeah. (laughs) Like, we could do a whole episode about why you should not. Those those are two monsters. Anyway, so she called the car the Dale after Dale Cliff, the person who made it. I don't Mm -hmm. know why they didn't mention that. Anyway, and she founded 20th Century Motor Car Company, which is an Ayn Rand reference. Also, 
big red flag. Yeah, they didn't put that in the segment either. I saw that on an article I read. Yeah, that apparently part of why the reason the media liked her was that she was a woman, she was like this new face of, you know, women in the workplace, but was also constantly saying all this right-wing stuff. Yeah. So it's like, oh, we can have feminism, but not. Right. Anyway. Things have not changed for her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was part of her, I don't, yeah, I don't know her, like, politics, but that was part of her getting the media on her side. They didn't really look into her claims that she was going to start putting this car into production. So there kind of was this vehicle, but she made these outlandish claims of how great it was going to be. It was supposedly going to cost $2,000, which... This is in the 70s. That would be the equivalent of, like, $10,000 today. It was going to get set, like, 70 miles to the gallon. It was supposed to get 70 miles to the gallon. You were supposed to be able to run it into a brick wall <laughs> unscathed because it was made out of space age NASA materials. <laughs> she made a lot of claims about her background. One of them was that her late husband worked for NASA, and for some reason that, like, qualified her to make a car out of space age materials that wasn't true she claimed to have various you know engineering degrees that she had a lot of different backstories and i don't think any of them were true at all yeah it was supposed to absorb four times the impact of a cadillac without damage and its windows were so strong that only a bullet could penetrate the special window material yeah, not true. None of that was true. She So she set up an office. She put a Dale, like, roped off on display. But it was, like, kind of... You, you would have to be fur, far enough back that you couldn't really <laughs> see what was going on. Because I don't think she had the one that worked. It didn't seem like it. I was trying to figure this out. I think Dale Cliff still had the one that sort of worked. And so, the, apparently... 20th Century Motor Company made three prototypes of various viability. One of them, the, like, accelerator isn't even attached to anything. Wasn't, like, in one of them the engine upside down or something? Yeah, one of them just had a lawnmower motor. (laughs) On Unsolved Mysteries, they do a reenactment of... Because eventually the government is like, what is going on? Because people are investing in this company. she's She's selling cars that don't exist. She's selling stock in a company, but not giving people any, like, right. and official co- paperwork for that. And a car company also has all these regulations they have to follow. Like, you have to be, you know, you have to go through this whole process before you can start selling cars. She had done none of that. She had done none of that. Yet she, she was still selling the cars. She, she was selling people dealerships. She was selling people stock. She was selling people cars. So she was getting money from, like, all of those different sources. She didn't have a permit to make cars. She was claiming that they were being made in this airport hangers right but when the inspector goes to look there's literally nothing in it they'd only rented it for one month there's no equipment there's like no it's just so bizarre because it's like it's very like why why (laughs) like the claims about the car are just so ridiculous she also claimed she was going to make a sedan called the ravel and a station wagon called the wagon (laughs) No, neither of those ever existed. You can just see pictures of them. She claimed to have 100 workers working in a giant factory in Burbank and that she was going to produce 88,000 cars in the first year. No, she wasn't. 
Thanks to this is from the article. Thanks to the unchecked media hype, several million dollars rushed into 20th century in 1974 for what was supposed to be the car that would revolutionize the industry. And whoa, also, this is not in this article, but somewhere I saw it. This was given out as a prize on the Price is Right. Are you serious? Yes. Oh my God. That was part of the publicity that wow. she set up for it. She was in like Time and Newsweek. Everybody loves this story, but no one looked into it well enough oh my God. to realize it was a big scam until the police started looking into it. Okay, so this is the point where. So the government starts going, she doesn't actually have a permit to be doing any of these things, yet she's taken in it by this point millions of dollars. So they go to her office, they meet with her, they tell her, like, this is an injunction, blah, blah, blah. And she's just, like, very professionally, like, in the reenactment, like, oh, great. But then says, okay, we got to, like, relocate to Dallas (laughs) because they're on to us. And then that lasts, like, two weeks before the authorities get in touch with her there. And then when they go to raid her, this is the part that was, like, the most problematic in the Unsolved Mystery segment, is that they go to her apartment, and they find, like, a wig and a padded girdle. Yeah, the reenactment of, like, the... (laughs) They're, like, state troopers? I don't know. They walk in, these two guys, and they, like, hold up the padded girdle. And And they're like, like, we gotta call this in. I was like, you have to call in a wig? And a girdle? That's, like, what? It was both humorous in some ways, but also extremely, extremely problematic. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're probably not surprised given when the show came out, but you're sort of like, okay, so. This is where the gender thing becomes a thing. Right. This was supposed to be, this was supposed to be the shocking reveal. Yeah. Was that Liz Carmichael was once known as Jerry Dean Michael and had a criminal record. So the show is acting like, this is a disguise. Yes. I don't buy that. No. But part of that is in hindsight that, so Liz Carmichael eventually goes on the run and is that is that large for 10 years. Yeah. And is eventually caught because of Unsolved Mysteries selling flowers with some scam that either, invo- either involved children or the homeless. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, she, she spent those 10 years as a woman. So I... I feel like the gender part is just irrelevant, but at the time of airing the segment, maybe they didn't know that. Maybe they thought... It was also somewhat... I mean, it's... They showed age-progressed photos of her as a man or a woman. I mean, they were trying to say, you know, she could be out there living as a woman or living as a man. Either way, we have to find her. It's, It's hard because they're both making it salacious to kind of make the story more interesting, but also saying... You know, she could be out there, or at one point, Robert Stack says this is what he would look like, and then this is what she would look like. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard. You don't want to give him a pass, but in the context of the time, they're like, well, we have to find this person. Right. And she decided to. They talked to a police officer who was saying, you know, if it was me, I would be living as a man because everybody's looking for Liz Carmichael. Right. But. That's not what happened. You know, in hindsight, that's not what happened. No. And she was transitioning or had transitioned. Right. So this wasn't just a disguise. I I mean, yeah, I I sort of feel like they tried their best, but maybe that's too kind. I don't know. This one's a weird one. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) did I get like totally off track on that? So Liz Carmichael had built people out of roughly $6 million 
prosecutors eventually convicted her on 26 different counts when she showed up in court. She defended herself, which is always a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, she insisted that the government was interfering, and if it wasn't for the trial, she would be able to make the cars, and the government was the reason why people weren't getting them, except... That's not true. Right. She went on the run. Yeah. She didn't have cars or people. She didn't have anything developing. What I don't understand is in the Insult Mystery segment, they show a couple people who really believed in the car that worked for her. Yeah. What were they doing? I couldn't find out any more information about them. I suppose she had, she probably maintained an office of people who handled the investments and arranged things and just assumed that at the warehouse they were developing cars. I mean, she couldn't have done, I mean, there's no, I mean, this sounds like it was at a big, it was on a big scale, right? So she had to have people that were managing parts of this fake business. Yeah. The the money, you know, the, the front office, so to speak. She clearly was a charismatic personality. She had like a very everybody talked about how she had oh, this very commanding presence, and yeah, you um, you wanted to believe her. People were very excited to be part of this that they thought was going to be like the revolutionary new vehicle that was going to lead us off oil dependence and right. blah 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 blah. So at, at least at the time of unsolved at this unsolved mystery segment, people were still like really rooting for her even though it seems to me like she's just a con artist yeah i don't know so she's convicted on 26 different counts when it's finally time for her to go to jail in 1980 her bail was put up by a television production company in exchange for her story and then she skipped bail (laughs) so she she was on the run for nine like nine or ten years she didn't give the production company her story, which I also think is hilarious. (laughs) Then two weeks after being featured on Unsolved Mysteries, she was picked up living under the name Catherine Elizabeth Johnson in the small town of Texas known as Dale. (laughs) I know, right? What? What? She served her sentence, which was only a couple years, and rumors sort of... Some people say she died in 2004. But there's different stories out there. I don't know. Supposedly, three Dales survive today. And they're the three that she made or her company made as prototypes. The original Dale made by Dale. Nobody knows what happened to it. Hmm. There's one at the Smith Collection Museum of American Speed, which I think is in Lincoln, Nebraska. There's one at the Peterson Automotive Museum. Oh, no. Maybe that's the one. There's one in Los Angeles, there's one in Lincoln, Nebraska, and there's one that's privately owned. Okay. And if you find the original Dale Clift Dale in your garage or something... It's probably worth a lot of money. Yeah, let us know. (laughs) Um, We want to cut. I think that's all I have to say about that mystery. Yeah, yeah, be, be a little weary watching that one. It is an interesting story, though. It is. Because it's such a ridiculous... It reminds me last year of the Fry Festival debacle, which was people paid all this money to go to this like luxury resort concert experience, and then there was just nothing. Like they got there, and there was just like FEMA tents and like oh no salad on bread. Like it was supposed to be oh you're gonna swim with dolphins and eat luxury food and you know here are these 
musician like there was just they got there and there was just nothing oh my god and it was such an over-the-top scam that you go did they at one point think they were gonna put this on and then they were in way over their heads and should have canceled it or were they always planning to scam to scam people but then it's like what what do you think you're gonna get (laughs) get away what is the long-term plan like everybody knew who liz carmichael was she had done all this press Mm -hmm. right what was the long term i'm gonna take in all this money for these cars and then and then what i'm not sure or was at some point she's like i could make this and then i was like no i really can't i can't tell i don't know i think it's telling that she went on to like continue to scam people that's true too so maybe she was just a scam artist a professional scam artist i'm not i'm not sure but yeah it doesn't seem like she was a great person i mean we've seen enough fraud on this show to know that people i think really do think they're gonna get away with it and i don't it's hard to fathom for me but i'm also a person that's like doesn't break the law (laughs) right so like i I just would assume i'd always get caught yeah there's a level of delusion or a level of narcissism maybe yeah her original conviction was for counterfeiting, so I don't know. Huh. Interesting. Anyway. It is an interesting case. Um, I would almost say you could skip watching it and like go read about it, but the articles no. that are on, that, out there aren't any better than the show. I, which is depressing because the, some of the cases they're much more recently written. Yeah. The one I was reading for um, is one of the least awful. <laughs> The and first ones that come up in Google aren't good. Are and that's sad because so, because I was like there has to be more to this and I was googling it while I was eating dinner the other night and yeah I don't know I was shocked by how people handle writing about this case. Yeah, it's not it's depressing. It's not good, but that's an interesting one. I, I was I wonder if we could find that Price is Right segment. That would be good. It's got to be on YouTube. We should have done that. Yeah, I didn't even think of that until literally right this. If up. we find it, we'll share it on Facebook. Yes. Cool. And I kind of want to go to one of the muse- those mu- car museums and see it now. Kind of. Like, eh, a little. You said there was one in Los Angeles? <laughs> yeah. So we could, like, make a trip of it. We could go see the Queen Mary. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that in Los Angeles? Or no, it- but it's in California. Okay. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. Close enough. We'll make a trip of it. So, All right. I'm sorry more. that was whatever. Done. One more. On. We have an unexplained death. So this is a unique mystery and then we begin in the Unsolved Mysteries Telecenter where Robert Stack tells us that viewers don't only call in tips, they also call in to suggest stories. And then he says that six months ago they received a highly unusual call that came from a man who was the leading suspect in the murder of his own mother. How much do you want to go to that call center? So much. Yeah. It looks kind of like a boring office cubicle space but except that it's the unsolved mysteries i want to work there yeah so tim mcclure lived with his mother off and on throughout his 20s he's now 38 tim and his mother spent a lot of time at the casino playing slot machines tim has a pretty good mustache uh it's very wide but i don't know that i liked him that much so i don't really want to nominate him for mvm that was going to be my question as well I don't know if there's a better mustache in the episode. His mustache has, like, a weird gray stripe, like, running through it. Like, it's not all gray. And it's not gray at the (laughs) end, so it's not gray at the start. It's gray, like, in the middle. 
Yeah. But is he a dirtbag? I don't know. That's the thing. Listeners, you're going to have to decide for yourself, maybe. So, Tim is interviewed for the show, and he said that his mother was a very kind-hearted woman. According to Tim, she was gentle and kind, and the photo they show of her does look like a very nice grandmother. I know. Like, she definitely... She she makes you cookies every time you come over. She has a closet full of toys. I'm going to cry. I know. She's very nice. So Terry McClure was 62 and living alone. She was thrilled when Tim called to tell her that he was getting married to a woman who was never named or interviewed in the show. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I think they had been broken up at this point, and uh, she probably didn't want to be be on the show. Uh, His wedding took place on January 14th, 1983 at Lake Tahoe, Nevada. Tim said that he was ecstatic and that although... Um, They did not have an elaborate wedding. It was a big moment in his life. Um, The newlyweds and their parents celebrated by doing a little gambling at the casino where they got married. Around 10 p.m., Tim left to walk his mother to her car. Terry planned to drive straight home to Reno, which is about an hour's drive from Lake Tahoe. Tim told her that he and his new wife would stop by to visit the next day. When they arrived around 6 p.m. the next evening, they noticed signs that she was not home. Like, the newspaper was still out. Her car wasn't there. Um, it seemed as though she hadn't been home at all, and Tim found this very strange, obviously. She had taken the time off of work to go and celebrate their wedding, so she wouldn't have been at work. Um, he expected her to be home. Worried, they called the police. Um, three, and then three days later, Terry's car was found in the parking lot of a Carson City, Nevada casino, which was only a half an hour's drive from Lake Tahoe. The keys were in the ignition, the doors were locked, and Terry was sitting in the front seat, shot twice in the head. And the reenactment is kind of gruesome. Yeah. Like, she's sitting up against the passenger side window. There's a lot of fake blood. She has a pillow behind her head, which is... I don't know if that's how they actually found her. They didn't say. Yeah. There's a lot of blood. Um, It's kind of gruesome. The day after they found her body, the police questioned Tim. Robert Stack says that Tim was shocked when they asked him if he wanted to have an attorney present. But slowly it dawned on him that he was considered a suspect. Well, yeah. And then Tim said that he started to feel like a victim. That he thought... They should be looking other places, not him. And he said this thing a couple times that he felt like the victim. Like, your mother was murdered. You were not the victim. Of course they're looking at her family. Yeah. Don't be an idiot. I mean, I understand you're you're shocked and you want them to go find the killer it's if, in weird, fact, you didn't do it. But it's, it's a, a weird thing to say. It's a weird choice of words. That's not the right word. I feel like the victim. Yeah, because you're not. You're the like, I feel like I'm being put on trial or I feel like... I don't, yeah, I don't you're know. wasting your time, but sure. you're not murdered. No. It's odd. Anyway. He's, he's odd. So this is what Tim said happened that night. He says he returned to the casino and for some reason gambled alone for two hours because his wife was gambling with her parents. When he rejoined his wife, they went out dancing until dawn. The police are not able to corroborate where they were all night. So it's a little coincidental that she was found a half hour's drive from the casino. He disappeared for two hours and then showed up again. It's also, maybe this wasn't true back in the day. I don't know. Casinos are so heavily monitored. Yeah, you're right. It was strange. They don't have any security camera footage that shows him gambling. I'm not sure. It didn't seem like it. It didn't seem... Well, they said... They specifically said they tried to find out where they were all night and couldn't do it. 
you can't do anything in a casino without a casino knowing about it. Yeah. They but watch everything. They must not. So, back then. That's odd. It is odd. Tim told police that two days before his mother's body was found, he, uh, he searched the main highway between Reno and Lake Tahoe, but they became suspicious when he said that he was doing it because he was looking for his mother's purse. They said, we found it odd that he would retrace his mother's steps in an effort to find something that nobody knew was missing. It's very odd. It is, but I also don't know... It's, it's strange. The, the, the fact that he said he's searching for her purse and not searching for her car is weird. Yes. But I don't find it suspicious that no one knew the purse was missing. If she was missing, she had her purse with her. So, of course, the purse was missing. Yeah, but... You- He's saying, oh, I'm out looking for her purse, not I'm looking for her. Or I'm or looking her car. for the car. That is the suspicious part. Right. They were like, well, how does he know her purse is missing? Well, she's... He's she, acting like, oh, I'm going to find her purse on the side of the road. And they're going, why, like, why would, you, would you? Why would you think that? Yeah. So that was a little bit suspicious. When she was finally found, her purse was the only item that was missing. So that's not great for him. No. Tim also drove through the parking lot of every casino along the route, except the one where she was eventually found. That's where I went, okay. Yeah. Tim says that he thinks the Holy Spirit kept him away from that casino to keep him from finding her body, and that he's happy he accidentally skipped that one because he would have found her. I mean, this could be a coincidence. It's also highly suspicious. I mean, I would believe it was a coincidence more if he hadn't said it was because of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of casinos. Could you miss one? Yeah, right? In the reenactment, they show him, like, pulling out of one casino and then skipping the one that's across the street. (laughs) I'm not going there. So Uh, I don't know if that's actually how it was, but... (laughs) Right. um, But it is suspicious that he searched every one except that one. Yeah. Um, So I don't think that's the moment where God intervened. That's my theory. Yeah, this is probably the most compelling evidence. Um, Tim called and canceled one of his mother's credit cards. Tim says that he called on Monday, which was the day her body had been found. But the credit card company said that he called on Friday, which was before his mother even disappeared. Tim thinks that this is a mix-up. However, they show the memo, and it clearly says the date. And then I wrote down exactly what it says. So it says the date. It's all spelled out. And it says, son called, mother deceased, no estate with spouse, dad deceased, will send certificate, which I assume means death certificate. And then it lists Tim's phone number. Um, This doesn't seem like a mistake because the date is written out. It wasn't like, it was a difference of three days. It wasn't like you accidentally wrote down yesterday's date. Right. It was clearly like 1-15 or whatever the date, date it was. And then it's very clearly written, son called, said his mother's deceased. I mean, even if he did that literally the day they found her body is a little suspicious. You know what I mean? Like, why are you so on top of the credit card situation? Aren't you grieving for your mother? You would think the person was missing, so I guess they could have, he could have assumed someone was out there trying to use her credit cards. I guess. Maybe you're just trying to do something. I mean, I tried to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. Like, the being out driving around, they... I'm sure you feel helpless if your mother is missing and you want to do something. Absolutely. So you go out and you drive around. I don't think him driving around is suspicious. I think him specifically saying the purse is suspicious. I think him right. happening to skip the parking lot he was actually in is a little That's suspicious. A, also, it's hard to give this guy the benefit of the, of the doubt. It's, it's, but, it's a lot of things to give him the benefit of the doubt on. Yeah. 
It is. is. entirely circumstantial? Yes. This isn't real evidence. No. You have to make a lot of excuses for him. You have to say, well, he was out driving around because he wanted to try and find his mom, and maybe he said he was looking for her purse because he's upset, and he didn't, you know, and then you have to say, well, he just got the dates mixed up, or, you know, he's trying to cancel the credit card because someone's out there trying to use it, but it's kind of like the circumstantial evidence is piling up a little bit. Yes. Also, him making the excuses was, like, making them more complicated. Like, yeah. his explanations were like, oh, I, I just don't know why. Like, maybe it was this. Maybe. And I was like, you're trying too hard. Yes. So, then there's this. Six months before she was murdered, Terry had taken out a $10,000 life insurance policy listing Tim and one of his sisters as the beneficiaries. Tim said that it would be ridiculous to think that he'd kill his mother for $5,000. I mean, the detective is... very rightly says that people have been killed for much less. It is ridiculous, but it doesn't mean that it's not what happened. Exactly. He also, him and his wife also took polygraph tests in which they failed. Are you not going to mention that in the reenactment of him taking a polygraph <laughs> test, he's wearing a pink sweater over a red turtleneck? Oh, that's what I was going to say next. <laughs> <laughs> it's bubblegum pink, and he has a red turtleneck underneath it. I just wrote I, down never a good look, Tim. I love it. Oh, really? <laughs> I love it. Something about red and bubblegum pink together is kind of a combination that makes me a little nauseous. It's. He's like a Valentine. It makes me think of like bubblegum and ketchup, and I don't like it. Ew. Yeah. Well, fair enough. <laughs> that is gross. <laughs> anyway, Tim makes a lot of excuses for why he failed the polygraph test. He says that they made him keep his eyes closed, and then he felt like he was wired up to an electric chair. He says that they took a long time between the questions, and that as he sat there with his eyes closed, his mind started to race, which all could be true. It just kind of sounds like he's grappling for an excuse as to why he failed. Instead of saying lie detectors are not accurate, and there's a reason they're not used in court. Like, that. Yeah. He's stressed out because his mom died. Like, the fact that he failed the lie detector doesn't mean anything. It means nothing to me. And he does seem like he's making a lot of excuses. Him making weird excuses about it means more to me than the fact that he failed. I think people still put a lot more faith in lie detector tests than they should. And back then it was even worse. Yeah. So, I mean, I could understand why he would be like, I can't explain why I failed. Five listeners never agree to take a lie detector. No. Unless you're on, like, a really cheesy reality dating show. Then it's okay. Yeah, I wrote down that Tim's tone does make it sound like he's making up a story, but that could also just be how he talks. Um, None of this is, I mean, it's circumstantial at best, and I don't trust lie detectors. His wife also failed, um, so take that for what it's it's worth. The detective said that in a follow-up interview, they had no answers for why the machine indicated deception. I just wrote down, why would they? Yeah, that's not evidence at all. Uh, Tim claims that his wife only flunked one question, which was the question of, do you know who murdered Terry McClure? (laughs) That's kind of the one you don't want her to flunk. Yeah, she said no, and it indicated that she was lying about that. The evidence was submitted to the Nevada district attorney, who deemed it circumstantial and too insignificant to pursue charges. Tim's friends, according to Unsolved Mysteries, said that Tim was genuinely devoted to his mother and that... And Tim does sound genuine when he says that his mother was his best friend and that he was planning on taking care of her for the rest of her life. Um, next, they show Tim's wedding photo. I just wrote down that hair. Yeah. Oh, my God, you guys. The tux. Wow. Everything. So this is the part that I made me not like. I mean, Tim's 
on shaky ground with me up until this point. I'm kind of going back and forth on whether or not he, I think he's sure. guilty because it is a lot of circumstantial evidence that could potentially be explained. His friends apparently say he was devoted to his mom. He does seem like, I mean, he lived with her off and on. They went to the casino all the time. It seems like a guy who genuinely loves his mother. But then they say that Tim is hoping that his long hair and his unusual height of six foot five will prompt someone to call him with an alibi. Which, like, it sounds like the DA has, they've already declined to press charges against him. Like, you're not asking Unsolved Mysteries to find the real killer of your mom. You're asking Unsolved Mysteries to find someone who can absolve you from suspicion of killing your mom. At no point in this episode does Tim say, I want to know who killed my mom. He's, the whole time he's talking about how he wants to get, yep. how he wants to not be under suspicion anymore, which I'm sure you do, but you have also, this don't. resource at your disposal. You could be asking them to find the killer of your mom, not find someone who can give you an alibi. Someone killed an elderly woman in cold blood. And the whole don't point of this mystery segment that is? seems to be, let's get Tim off. Yeah. Not, let's find who killed this woman. Right. So I'm I'm not just mad at Tim. I'm kind of mad at Unsolved Mysteries because oh, it really snap. doesn't. It really doesn't seem like they're trying to find this woman's no. killer. They're like, let's let's help this Tim. weirdo out. He's a strange dude. I'll say, I I don't see the motive. I don't think he killed her over five thousand dollars. No. So sure, he could have killed her over some other reason. Did she not approve of the marriage? Did I don't know. Did you know? Is there some sort of personal? grievance why did he drive to this other casino and why was he mysteriously not there for two hours right when she was killed the exact amount of why would you kill someone on your wedding day it's this is weird and i'm not sure i'm not sure what to think i will say that the unsolved mysteries wikia says this um because in the update they said tim was arrested for his mother's death but death but the case was dismissed with prejudice and then, according to the Unsolved Mysteries Wikia, the prejudice ruling means that Tim can never again be arrested in this case. Terry's murder remains unsolved, although Tim is the prime suspect. Terry's granddaughter has said that much of their family believes Tim murdered his mother, and they also claim that Tim's ex-wife knows he did it, but is withholding information. Huh. Take that for what it's worth. I don't know. the Kate, What they have against him was completely circumstantial. It is suspicious, but circumstantial, I don't know. He's not my favorite person. I'm really annoyed by the fact that they weren't like, let's find the killer, but... Right. No, that, that gives a sort of OJ quality where he, you know, he was always like, oh yeah, let's find the real killers. And you could tell he didn't mean it at all, right? Yeah. The fact that he's like not really that concerned with who killed his mother. Who He, he says, the one thing I wanted to do was take care of my mother in his old age, her old age. And you go like, really? Because... <laughs> you don't even seem that concerned that she's dead. Yeah. You yeah. seem concerned that people think you did it. Yeah. It's interesting that it got dismissed with prejudice. Yeah. So that I mean, is that is really unsolved. Mm-hmm. Yep, nothing else about it. Huh. Well, so, shall we rate this episode? Let's do it. Mysteriousness. I mean that last one? Mysterious. I would say. But the Dale I mean, where's the original Dale, I guess. Not that mysterious. Not that mysterious. And the first one was like America's Most Wanted. So yeah. So I'm a thumbs down. Thumbs down. Reenactments. Um, some of them were really bad in this episode. Yeah. I not was, bad in a good way. Yeah. Not bad in an amusing way. I will say the casting for Liz Carmichael was like mean. Yes. Does that make sense? It does. Because the when they showed her. It didn't her, look anything like her. 
they they found the manliest man they could and put him in a wig. Yeah. And it was someone with a very square chin, which she didn't have, and like a giant Adam's apple and Yeah. <laughs> like they clearly were like this was a man dressing like a woman is the argument right. they were making with that reenactment and it was very distasteful. Yeah. So I would say and you know what? thumbs down with prejudice for <laughs> For reenactments for me on this one. Yeah, and the TK Hardy one was, the reenactments were fine, but they weren't outstanding. And same with the last one. So, yeah, I'm a thumbs down. Uh, Fashion. Okay. (laughs) The pink sweater. Do we give that a thumbs up or a thumbs down? (laughs) Samantha physically ill. (laughs) It makes me cackle with glee. It's a bad sweater, too. It really is. No. I'm a a thumbs down for fashion. Uh, Robert Stack's outfits? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't Do even I make really that... remember them. I think he was just wearing suits. Do I make that noise every time? I think so. Uh, and I'm not sure about MVM. There was a lot of cop mustaches, and I don't really want to give it to TK Hardy. Not yeah. TK Hardy. I don't really okay. want to give it to... I actually wrote horses. down someone is a second place. From the, from your first mystery, I wrote down Major Lemos, who was a cop. He had a he had a more accentuated cop mustache that comes to kind of a point. Okay, eh, it's not it's not really that noteworthy. There were a lot of mustaches, but, but none that were that great in this episode. Yeah, I, this is kind of thumbs down on mustaches too. Kind of. Let's do a thumbs down instead of awarding the most valuable mustache. <laughs> no Sounds one, good. No one rose to the occasion. They really didn't. So how do you rate this episode? God damn. <laughs> I don't know. On, pr- on principle, because of that, Elizabeth Carmichael. I want to. Yeah. I want to rate it low just because they did such a bad job handling really, that. I feel like not only is it insensitive, but it kind of didn't tell the story very well. That's true. It really didn't because they left out a lot. It was way too short. They didn't say where the car came from or why <laughs> it was called the Dale, which seems real stupid to me. Yeah, a two? I was going to go with a two. So. It's not boring the way something about gold mining is boring. But... That's true. There's only three. There's a stupid update, right? Isn't there an update in oh, this Oh, yeah. There was an update of the the guy at the ATM. Oh, yeah. That, and that was, Chase. again... Yeah, it's the Matthew the whole Chase. episode again. It was the whole episode um, The pizza rivalry is not really the most compelling mystery. <laughs> I didn't find it that interesting. No. So, so the last one is kind of interesting because why did he call Unsolved Mysteries? But clearly, I feel like it was because he, he didn't was like, desperate to get his name clear. Yeah, he didn't like people whispering about him. Yeah, it wasn't to find his mother's killer. No. So. so uh, I'm a two. I think that's fair. It's I watched this and had totally forgotten about it. Same. Because who cares? <laughs> Pretty much. So, do you have a recommendation? I do have a recommendation. Speaking of Los Angeles, oh, we could include this in our trip when we go see the Dale. As I was going to recommend one of my favorite places on Earth, Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Oh yeah, I absolutely fucking love it. So if you're in Los Angeles ever for any reason, or maybe go there to see this, go. It's totally worth it. I love it. It is the most beautiful, tranquil place. <laughs> I loved your photos the last time you went, which was last summer, right? Um, no, or fall. It was in beginning of November. Okay. Yeah, 
I was just there in the beginning of November. It's the second time that I went to the cemetery. And it's totally worth going more than once. I would go every single time I'm in Los <laughs> Angeles. Because it's stunningly beautiful. It has a totally different appeal than other cemeteries I've been to. It is not spooky. This is not a Halloween-y, you know, falling down no. graves experience. This is... I've never been somewhere so pretty. <laughs> there's palm trees. There's peacocks on top of people's graves, right? There's a lagoon with an island in it. And there's literally swans <laughs> swimming in the pond. There is an like all marble mausoleum with stained glass windows. This is probably oh God. the most peaceful place that I have ever been. That's where Valentino is buried. If you've seen the American Horror Story Hotel that features Valentino and his grave and his death as like a major plot point. A lot of that show was filmed at Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Nice. Is that where Robert Snack is buried? I don't think so. <laughs> um, Jane Mansfield is buried there. Two of the Ramones are buried there. Toto, the dog. I saw that picture. <laughs> he has such a beautiful grave with all those like succulents planted yeah. around it. They're it's gorgeous. are beautiful plants there. There's like a whole wall of succulents and like, oh my god. It's just stunning. Robert Steck is buried in Los Angeles, but it's at the he's at the Westwood Memorial Park Cemetery. Okay, well, we'll have to go there then. So we can make a stop. We could just do like a whole, all of the cemeteries in the Los Angeles area. Yeah. That would be so That would be fun. the best vacation ever. That would be so well, fun. Well, we know what we're doing next year. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, the reason I originally went there is because Vampira is buried there. Yeah, which there's a photo on Facebook and Instagram that Liz took of, of Vampira's grave. Vampira's grave. She actually died in poverty. And after her death, her fans like raised money to to get her marker and buried in Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Oh, that's which the sweetest. I know, which is really nice. If you go, there's like a little flower shop run by the sweetest lady. <laughs> so you can get a map that will show you like where the various celebrities are buried. And oh also, God, so bad. she's just kind of a laugh riot. That when I went, she was like, you know Vampira, yes? Like, she knew. She just in five she knew seconds. you were there to see. <laughs> she knew what I was like, yeah, that's me. You got to figure it out. Yeah, I can't recommend it more. I love it. I'm not officially sick. So, I can't afford to be buried there, I'm sure. <laughs> so, I'm not officially saying that I've told people that I want some of my ashes slipped in that beautiful pond. I'm not saying that. That's probably highly illegal. But. Wink, wink. If you're there and you happen to have some of Liz's ashes in your pocket and they just happen to fall out. I mean, what can you do? What what are they going to do, fight you? You can't take ashes out of water once it's in that beautiful swan-filled pond. You are not the first person to do this. hanging out with Jane Mansfield for all eternity. (laughs) Oh, I just love it. They have concerts there. Oh my God, I want to go. They show movies there. It is not in the nicest place part of los angeles sure but i've walked there twice now and lived to tell the tale so <laughs> don't let that stop you yeah well i wish i was there right now it's something i've been like as we go through if you live in the in, in the north where it's cold Ugh. winter at this point of year is really dragging on yeah we're all a little bit upset about it so i've definitely been looking at my photos from Hollywood Forever Cemetery going, I really wish I was at this cemetery right now. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. 
anyway that's my recommendation that's a really good recommendation possibly one day we'll my go. my ashes will not be there <laughs> liz is wink, winking wink. <laughs> so everyone is gonna be shocked that i'm recommending a book today look you're encouraging our listeners to be literate and i appreciate that i know there's some people out there who have said that they appreciate my book recommendation so i guess listen that's all i do is read and i read this book in a week is it a werewolf romance <laughs> it is not samantha i know beyond brand i know so i actually well i listened to this in a week it is bird box by josh mallerman wait is it people turning into birds it is not oh i know you're gonna be disappointed i'm very disappointed so this is a book that i had on my to read list for a while and it's just one of those situations where i kept as you add things to your to read list on goodreads things fall down the list and if you're not good about going back sure. then you forget things and i read his most recent book called black mad wheel it's either mad black wheel or black mad wheel it's a shorter novel that he wrote recently that i'm not necessarily recommending because i didn't love it it was okay it was a really short read it was just very weird um but it reminded me that i had this book on my to read list and I would say if you are a fan of horror novels, you would love this. Oh, okay. If you shy away from books that are a bit gruesome at times, this one might not be for you. Um, it's post-apocalyptic, which is a genre of books I enjoy reading. And I loved it because it's very traditional post-apocalyptic in that it's a based around a band of people who have come together to try and survive the apocalypse which okay. i find to be very traditional plot line sure. for post-apocalyptic novels and movies but it's also a very unique premise so the premise of the book is that around the globe people are seeing something that makes them go crazy Ooh. and they kill themselves sometimes they kill other people in the process this sweeps across the globe the apocalypse is upon us and we have to survive and then it follows one particular character as she meets up with these people and they try and survive. That sounds amazing. The Apocalypse, it's really, really well done. It's really good. They're making a movie, which I was happy to find out, that's going to be on Netflix. Oh. And it's going to star Sandra Bullock as the main character. Cool. I'm so excited. She's going to do a great job as this character. Um, I want to give one warning about the book. I don't think this is a spoiler because... In my opinion, you pretty much find out what's what's going to happen at the beginning. Okay. But if you're very averse to spoilers and you want to run out and read this, maybe plug your ears. Um, this also might be a piece of information you want to know. And that is that there's a, a dog death in the oh, book. yeah. So, listen, I understand. <laughs> An aversion to dog deaths. There's a reason that website, doesthedogdie.com, exists. I've used it. I've used it. Yeah. I refuse to watch or read Marley and Me. I'm right there with you. I'm a dog lover. I don't want to see that shit. I don't think this dog death was that bad. And I say that because the... (laughs) (laughs) I I say that because I I think it's not a reason to not read this book. Because the author doesn't make the dog like a main character. It doesn't... It's not given its own personality. It's really not even mentioned that often, despite the fact that it's there for most of the book. I I will say... Weak character, the dog. Yeah, I can... I will say the scene in which the dog dies, I'm not really looking forward to seeing it in the movie because it is a bit gruesome. And I can tell that the author wanted to make that an emotional moment in the book. It just didn't have as big of a hit to me because one, I kind of knew it was coming. And two, the dog really wasn't, it wasn't like your pet where it has its own personality and you love it, right? So Lenny is so offended right now. (laughs) I'm sorry, Lenny. Lenny's sitting underneath my chair. 
I should have told Lenny to plug his ears. I think he's sleeping, though. <laughs> so anyway, I will warn you about that, because I don't want hate mail. If someone reads this book and then I have their soul crushed by this one scene, I think it's some. I think you would like it if it's you like these particular... It's kind of amusing that we've just been talking about all these people dying, and then you're like, look, <laughs> I don't want hate mail because this dog dies. <laughs> it's true, though. But, people, no, I get people it. People get it's viscerally true. upset by animal deaths in a way that they don't get upset about human deaths, which is says a lot about us as humans, I think. But it's, like, it's well, true. Well, the dog didn't deserve it. I mean, that's kind of true. You know, yeah. we see animals as innocent bystanders to human calamity, and they don't deserve the fate that they're often given. So, Bird Box by, let me tell you the author again, Josh Mallerman. That's it. Those are my recommend- that's my recommendation. Sounds good. In our next episode, we are going to have some special guests. Yes. We were going to have Mike and Josh on the podcast. From the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast. We've been on their show, and now they're going to graciously come on to ours. And we're going to discuss episode 23 with them. Yeah, they're the original Unsolved Mysteries podcasters. And they've always been super supportive of us, even though we're totally Infringing on their, on their territory. Yeah. They're also way bigger fans of Unsolved Mysteries than we are. Oh, yeah, they know so much more Josh than we has do. a goddamn Robert Stack sleeve tattoo. They're yeah. serious about it. So We're just kind of stumbling stumbling along, <laughs> having a good time, but... And they're still nice about the fact that we're here yeah. doing their thing that they thought of first. No, we don't know what we're doing. So I hope you look forward to that. If you support us on Patreon, we're at patre- patre- patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. That's a lot of P's to say. Um, I promise you, you're going to get a bonus episode. We're recording two episodes today, so we don't have time to record our bonus for February, but it's going to come out the week after this episode airs. Yes. So you're going to get two episodes if you support us on Patreon. Next week you'll get episode 23 with Mike and Josh, and you'll get our bonus Patreon episode in which we're watching <gasps> Alien Autopsy. I'm so excited. On Netflix. I'm, I'm, so I'm very excited. excited. I was actually a little disappointed to realize that we couldn't record that episode today, but okay, we're going to do it next week, and you will get it the last week of February. Sorry it's a little bit late, but we promise you'll get that, and then... Going forward, you'll get your bonus episode every month. So, yeah. If you are interested in that, you can find us on Patreon. Every level of support gets access to bonus content. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah. So, follow us, social media, blah, blah, blah. Perhaps perhaps it's it's you. you. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Send us an email. You have a few more weeks to get us your listener stories. If you've got a story, we're at Perhaps It's You Podcast. Ghost stories. sightings. The unsolved mystery in your town. The one time you were on jury duty and something super weird happened. Yep. Whatever. We're going to do a bonus episode. That's not going to be a Patreon bonus either, you guys. It's going to be... We're going to celebrate the end of season one with some listener stories mm-hmm. and... We may have a special guest. We'll yeah. see. So... If you saw a UFO, man, you, you, better, hear about you it. better write in and tell us about <laughs> it. Um, That's it. Yeah. Bye. Bye.